So the whole point of the Eternals, as we later learn, is that they're trying to help mankind move forward. But I mean, what the fuck do they actually end up doing? I guess they show them how to plow, but honestly, plowing is important, man. Well, plowing is important. What does happen when when the dreaming celestial wakes up? I think he just talks and gets put back to sleep. Right. So this is basically like you as a parent, your kid's about to wake up and you're just like, shit, I want to play video games. Go back to sleep. That's exactly what it that's is. Exactly, Absolutely. That's, that's what it is. Okay, yeah. We don't call you that anymore, remember? No, I, I mean the, the other king. Yeah, Martin Luther? Jesus, Ryan. K- Kong! Kong! <laughs> you're, you're getting closer, but I am talking about Jack King Kirby, the granddaddy of so many popular comic book characters. Oh, now that sounds fantastic, but what space gods are we talking here, Robin? We're we talking about the mighty Thor, Silver Surfer? No, no, no. I'm thinking something a little more obscure. A property that questions the very origins of man and his mythologies. <coughs> Good lord. <laughs> that's the mythology coming right out of your throat. <laughs> of man and his mythology. Like, you cough up, you're like, I just created a deviant, Ryan. A property that questions the very origins of man and his mythologies that's been adapted over the years by some of our generation's greatest creators. You must be talking about famed X-Men replacement, the Inhumans. I've got to tell you, man, if you make me watch the damn show, I'm going to be screaming louder than Black Bolt. (laughs) Well, we already did read Karnak and Miss Marvel. And yes, that show was pretty terrible. But no, my dear sweet Ryan, I'm talking about the Eternals. Well... It's funny you mention that because I just so happened to read the 2006 comics run by award-winning creators Neil Gaiman and John Romita Jr. Ooh, no, dude. This is Quarantine Comics where I like to interrupt our regular comic book reading with whatever the latest and greatest Hollywood hit is. And in this case, I'm talking about the latest MCU blockbuster by Oscar award-winning director Chloe Zhao featuring an all-star Hollywood cast like Salma Hayek, Angelina Jolie, and Kumil Nanjiani. Why don't we do both? That's just so crazy that it just might work. I'm Ryan Joe. And I am (coughs) Rumman Segel. And we are not eternal, but Rumman's cold just might be. This week, we are doing a double feature from comics and the movies. And we're talking about, you guessed it, the Eternals. Not just the Marvel Cinematic Universe's latest installment by acclaimed director Chloe Zhao, but also the comic series rebooted in 2006 of the same name by acclaimed writer Neil Gaiman. Both adaptations of Jack Kirby's original work posit the fundamental question that... Could Marvel movies write so poorly on Rotten Tomatoes? Come on, dude. It's really subjective how you feel about the movie. I mean, I I think the internet's trolls are just having their way with the fact that so many white male characters were recast to reflect the diversity of the world as it actually is. Well, okay. Mark Kermode, I certainly can't get emotionally invested anymore. It's just a series of special effects interspersed with a bit of humor. Claudia Pugh, or Pug, I don't actually know how to pronounce her name, at NPR. A glacial two hours and 37 minutes, the movie occasionally feels eternal, and it sags under that weight. 
Originally created by Jack King Kirby in 1976, The Eternals posits the question, what if our species and civilization were not guided by the divine, but simply by space aliens with an ulterior motive, and they're really good-looking immortal agents? I ask that question every day. <laughs> Actually, the premise of The Eternals was generously lifted from a best-selling book from back in those days called Chariots of the Gods by Eric von Daniken. And that is your fact of the day, brought to you by Angry Orchard Hard Cider. I'm just kidding. That's what I'm drinking right now. It's, they didn't sponsor us, but if, if they want to, call us. So while 2006's Eternals comic book reboot injects them clearly into the Marvel Universe with a believable oft-used trope about group amnesia brought on by an adversary. Ooh, are you not excited? Tropes. Oft-used tropes. The movie not so subtly decides to give beings as powerful as the Eternals an excuse for taking a backseat to the past 15 years of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Also, it features quips, DC comic references, a badass deaf lady, Marvel's first sex scene, creepy CGI string monsters, a loving gay marriage, and a poorly choreographed Bollywood dance number, all from which one of those has made the film banned in Saudi Arabia and Kuwait. Sounds like a four-quadrant hit if I ever heard one. Except... When you look at the tomato meter, it's not definitely not a four-quadrant hit. That's the line you choose to keep for my amazing script. So, Ryan, once again, we risked life and lung to venture into theaters as a companion piece to a critically acclaimed comic. What do you think of both versions of The Eternals? I'm actually surprised it didn't do so well on the tomato meter. I shouldn't probably... I know what's interesting is... This feels like the movie the critics would be good with and the fans wouldn't be good with. And yet that's the opposite. Well, okay. So um, it didn't always feel like a Marvel movie, which I think is a good thing because Marvel movies, I mean, have Marvel a movies really, really, yeah, they have a formula and they're very predictable. And they, for me, they work when they recall basically storylines that I read when I was a teenager. My enjoyment of Marvel movies really hinges on nostalgia. If I remember reading these storylines when I was a kid, I will probably like it. Otherwise, I'll probably get a little bit bored. And oh, wait, I want to challenge that. How'd you feel about Guardians of the Galaxy then? It was okay. Everyone's quippy. I mean, it was fun. It was fun. But, I mean, I'm guessing there's not as much nostalgia with that. Like, Here's what movie. I like about Guardians of the Galaxy. And actually, this is something that Eternals, to an extent, has it, but not as strongly. And this is like a James Gunn thing. All of his characters are fucked up. There's no conventional main hero. And we saw in like Suicide Squad 2, anyone who is conventional gets killed. In Guardians of the Galaxy, everyone's an oddball and everyone's thrown into this canon space and he shakes it up and you see how they react. And for that reason... I actually do like Guardians of the Galaxy versus the other movies, which fall under more predictable plot lines, sure, like sure, sure, Captain sure. Marvel or whatever. Eh, I get, but you just, I can't, even Shang-Chi, I just can't help getting bored because I know pretty much how it's going to end. And It's Marvel are, hero's journey, yeah. And there are aspects of all of those movies that I do like. We exalted Tony Leung when we spoke about Shang-Chi. I think all Marvel movies have some thread that's interesting. It's just that they tend to ignore that thread after a while and do something very conventional. WandaVision is another example. It's really interesting when it first starts out, and then they make this decision where they have to explain everything for like the lowest common denominator. And if they just kept you off balance throughout that show, it would have been really, really interesting. So that's my issue with Marvel movies. If there is something interesting, they will very quickly explain it away, take away the mystique, and make it 
not dumb interesting anymore. Dumb it down. In ex- and basically just focus on the usual hero's journey, which of course we've seen a million, billion, trillion times by now. You know, so the so, Eternals doesn't really have that, and that's that's I was appreciative of that. Yeah, you and I chatted briefly, literally as I was leaving the theater of this film, and I'm genuinely and still conflicted about how I feel about this movie because on one hand, it didn't feel like a Marvel movie. If yeah. anything, I wish it wasn't part of the MCU and it was just a movie by Chloe Zhao and maybe Disney Marvel Studios, some Elseworlds thing called The Eternals that doesn't take place in continuity. Take Marvel's name off of it and just make a Chloe Zhao Disney movie called The Eternals. And maybe some geeks will know that it's based on a comic book that was pretty much removed from continuity multiple times in the Marvel Comics universe. I think I would have enjoyed it more if I literally found myself multiple times and not just the obvious one about where were they when Thanos was around, but like, and literally how Thanos ties into continuity. Is he an eternal or not? All that shit. If it was its own thing about what if space gods, like that would have been way more interesting to me. And maybe I wouldn't have felt trapped in the tropes because the, another thing I think a lot of people have found themselves comparing, it's like, there's too much, there's too many characters. And that is true. And I've I've thought a lot about, like, how could they have done that better in Marvels? Because Avengers had a lot of characters. But you introduced them slowly over multiple movies, and they were familiar people from cartoons. This is, here's 12 new people. Meet them all at once. Like, but it was really beautifully shot. (laughs) Yeah, it looked good. So I can't say, like, I, I unequivocally liked The Eternals. I liked it better than most of the Marvel movies I watched because I didn't know where it was going, and I was surprised mm. in some places. But what is this a movie that just blew me away? N- no. It was entertaining in some parts. I actually didn't think it was boring or a drag like some other people thought. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And then I said earlier, well, it didn't have the hero's journey. It actually did, which is in, with Cersei, but she's... Such a bland character, I forgot about her, but I realized that's actually a pretty sharp criticism of the Mm. movie. What I did like about the Eternals is once they get to the present day and they start getting the band back together, as it were, you get to see how all of these kind of conflicting personalities, how these people butt heads against each other, how everyone, their own agenda and their agenda doesn't necessarily align with everybody else's. And it's almost like it's one of the same reasons I like Guardians of the Galaxy. You have like a whole bunch of weird personalities getting thrown together. I actually would have liked to have seen more of that in the historical stuff because in the historical stuff, when yeah, they're in ancient yeah. Egypt, they're all like blandly good and all singing Kumbaya together. Staying together in a row where you have the opportunity in these flashbacks to literally sow the seeds of the character depth. Yeah. And how, what are their conflicts? I didn't realize who did. Nanjiani play. Character. Oh, Kingo. Yeah, I, I didn't actually realize that he was supposed to be the comic relief until he, we got to the present day. Yep, I mean, all yep. of these characters, they really have no personality in the historical stuff, which, except for actually Angelina Jolie, Athena, she, you can get a sense of her. And I actually think that might be Angelina Jolie's performance. I think she, mm-hmm. she doesn't really do that much, but what little she has to do, I think she's riveting. Yeah. But by and large, most of the characters, when they're in history before the present day are really boring. And so it's a shock when you get to the present day and you see, oh, they actually have personalities. Well, I want to ask a question there. So obviously the love story between Cersei and Icarus, they show that playing out as a, a yeah. thread in all the flashbacks. But, and, and this is a genuine question about maybe the plot and the characters. Do you think they didn't have a personality because all they did was hang out together and stand and pose and fight deviants together? And then it wasn't yeah. until until they broke up 
that they went onto the world and developed their own personalities. I mean, I think that's a weak stretch, but well, I, I I think you're right in the sense that the movie needed to show them fighting deviants and like showing yeah. people how to plow or whatever. <laughs> um, and and because of that, they didn't have a personality. Did those individuals not have personalities? beforehand i don't know it actually would have been it actually would have been interesting to see because like you see them just emerge and they're like they introduce each other on the spaceship and then they go down to earth it would have actually have been able to see these superpowered beings with like primordial personalities trying to work their way through this but that's a completely different movie well but i I do think it was a missed opportunity as as i think what we're both saying because they do show some of the seeds of these things but not the right one so a great example is makari and Druig, I think in like Baghdad, they have a flirtatious relationship. And then fast forward to the present, they the sparks fly again. And that really didn't fucking matter for the plot. But the whole sprite love triangle thing, like that was a seed, like her dissatisfaction right. with being a little girl for 5,000 years only becomes an issue at the bar in London. Like Exactly. And then who's the other guy? The the engineer dude? Fastos, right. Fastos. Like, he has an issue with Icarus, or he says at the end, it's like, oh, I didn't know that. I thought you guys were on pretty good terms. Well, yeah. And, and I mean, there's there's like easy gimmicks where you could have done it because the one character development moment you show about Fastos in the flashbacks is Hiroshima. And you literally could have had a moment with him and maybe not Ajax, Salma Hayek's character, but him and Icarus getting into an argument in that moment. That could have been the seed of when they decided they actually didn't like each other, right? Or something like that. Yeah, I'm curious, though. So the whole point of the Eternals, as we later learn, is that they're trying to help mankind move forward. They want mankind to grow for like reasons that we won't get into right now. But I didn't really see... I mean, what the fuck do they actually end up doing? I guess they show them how to plow, but honestly, it's, we're, we're not... Plowing is important, man. Well, Plowing yeah, is but, important. Okay, well, here's, here's, here's the issue. They say we are not allowed to interfere with mankind except when the deviants are involved because there's deviants on Earth and they're, they're the ones that yeah. they're going to kill all, all of man. So I don't understand why they're like, interfering and showing them how to like build tools and stuff like that. Like, if, if all they really need to do is just keep mankind safe from the deviants, then why don't they just do that? Those are the rules that they established early on. And then you see them like interfering with mankind. It's... I guess it's maybe a minor issue throughout the entirety of the movie, but it's something that stuck at me. Struck well, at me. It's like, what I mean, I, I could get behind it because there is that moment with the plow where Fastos wants to really help him move faster. He wants to build an engine. And Salma Hayek's character, the leader of the Eternals, Ajak, is like, no, let's kind of nudge them along slowly. Because to be clear, yeah, why? the plow, well, if the mission is to let humanity grow and thrive, let's do small nudges. We'll protect them from these monsters and well, and to be clear, I really did like the plot twist. Like, I say what you will about the rest of the movie, the plot twist yeah. caught me. That was dark and good, and it again. I'm not sure. This is where Marvel Infinity War and this movie, I think, is they're taking big swings with their universe. So now, a fundamental truth of this universe is half the population was wiped out and brought back several years later, and. We're literally just cannon fodder for space gods that we have now flicked a middle finger at. Like that, I mean, that, and that was borderline Galactus level stuff. And yeah, I appreciate the big swing and the big twist of that. I, I really do think the flaws in the movie aren't in, obviously, not in the mechanical elements of it, not in the ambition of it. It's just in the execution. Uh, yeah. 
I, I, it's, it's a movie that probably should have been divided into two, honestly, or could have actually probably been a Disney Plus thing. There's it a, there's a YouTube thing that about way. that. Oh, really? There's, yeah. Well, there's, there's uh, a, yeah, I'll send you the clip. Maybe I'll put it in the show notes. But, uh, but the other thing is, I, I figure, I guess they didn't do it with the Guardians of the Galaxy, but you could have dripped these characters out. I mean, they're all living in the more modern world. So you could have them yeah. show up in other movies, but they just, I mean, they didn't. Like Marvel has been so good about that over the years. And that's how this movie wasn't necessarily an afterthought, but it was a very separate production from everything else. So why, I'm just curious. So that was, you kind of mentioned that early on, like you wish it were its own movie, not part of the Marvel universe. Yeah. But it really, they don't really allude to the Marvel universe that much, except for maybe they, they mentioned Thanos in a line of dialogue. So how I guess how would that have substantially changed things if if the weren't movie weren't so tied? Well, we have clear expectations of what a Marvel movie is and isn't. So right. literally psychologically walking into this knowing it's that next MCU movie. I just saw Shang-Chi. Uh, okay. You know, so we have expectations going into this movie about what it's about. So that's thing one. If this and there have been some pretty interesting superhero genre movies. I'm trying to remember some of the names of some of them, but like that don't exist in a shared cinematic universe. Uh, there's the one about the kids with the camcorder. I think it's a Ryan Johnson movie about these kids that get superpowers and what would really happen. But so there's the one, I have no expectations or baggage if this isn't a Marvel movie. And two, I literally was left wondering, wow, okay, so there's a giant space god sticking out of the ocean. That's going to have repercussions later. And you've got Dane, Kit Harrington, the Black Knight, and you've got the after credit scenes that are setting up the next movie. And I'd be okay to set up the next movie if it just wasn't part of this connected universe. It a tur- And if you really go back, and this will bring us into the comic a little bit. If we get into Eternals, the origins of the Eternals comics, right? Like Jack Kirby and Stan Lee pretty much co-created the Marvel universe. They had a falling out and Jack Kirby left to go to DC. And when he went to DC, he decided to do some sci-fi space opera, new gods shit. And he did that for a while and then Marvel wooed him back and he came back and he created the Eternals and it wasn't successful to be clear because he had complete creative control over it and he wasn't like paired with his John Lennon or his Paul McCartney, depending on how you want to view him and uh, Stan Lee. But it was really fucking weird stuff. It was out there stuff that was separate from the Marvel Universe. They never wanted to tie. And even in the New Gods in DC, the biggest criticism of it back in the day was this is so removed from continuity. So it was already designed to be a separate thing. It exists as a separate yeah. thing. I actually think that's a strength, honestly, because that's my issue. Right? I was complaining about it earlier. I know what to expect mm-hmm. in a Marvel mm-hmm. movie. And I wish that Marvel would be more free to take risks at least with its cinematic universe the, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. they can't do that all of the characters are tend to gen- be generically the same they tend to be quippy mm-hmm. like black widow I, I, we talked about this in previous episodes she can't be the femme fatale who we're not she has to be the hero and any bad stuff she did happened off screen and i feel like eternals at least makes strides to being something else and i respect it for that it actually reminds me a little bit of maybe, and this is also because of the memory loss trope. Mm-hmm. You read Sentry, right? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that one was really striking because it did feel removed from the Marvel Universe. This guy who's just depressed and going through life and he knows of the adventures of these heroes, but he never touches it. And then, he, oh shit, he's the Sentry. And tonally, it was so different from the other Marvel comics I was reading at the time. It was much darker, much moodier, much more isolated. And the Eternals didn't... There but were you, definitely, but you know when Sentry got boring, though? When, when they Sentry brought him got, into the... M- when they brought when him they, into the MCU, I mean, when he was when, they when he was an Avenger, yeah, when, when he, he was, was an Avenger, Avenger. when he's yeah, an Avenger, it, he's just another superhero. Well, not when even he's, that. He's the ultimate superhero that can win any fight. It's just yeah. like it's no contest when the Sentry comes to play, and that plays out. I mean, they use that artfully well, but it's just not any more fun when the Sentry comes to play. No, there's, I mean. There's a mystique to the character when he's first introduced, and who is he? Was he really a superhero? Is he just crazy? Who knows? And so that that really keeps you off balance for the entirety, almost the entirety of the movie. And then when you do realize who the nemesis is, it's actually about mental health, really. Mm-hmm. And that's also something where you have a very powerful guy who's brought down by his own. We're actually we're starting to review Sentry, which I don't, I haven't read we've, in a long we've, time. We've actually but, been referring to a lot of other Marvel properties, but yeah. But 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 the point is, is that it's um, it was a risk. It felt like a risk for Marvel. It was something that played around like the fringes of the Marvel superhero genre, but felt distinctly apart from it, both tonally and in terms of this character's storyline. And Eternals had that in bits and pieces. And I like that. I thought that was a strength. Can I bitch about Cersei, though? I, I, I <laughs> want to complain you about You were charmed by Gemma Chan? Come on. I was so, um, so... I saw the movie with my wife, and she was excited to see the movie initially when she saw that Gemma Chan was in it. She liked her in crazy rich Asians. And in crazy rich Asians, Gemma Chan is almost glacial. She's just very stoic. Right. And that works really well for that character in that movie. And in this movie where she has to emote more, it it, it doesn't really work. She, she has like one or two facial expressions. And the other thing is that I was said earlier, this doesn't have the hero's journey. It actually does. It's, it's Cersei. Cersei is the one who it's just that Cersei is such a bland character. Everyone else in the movie has an agenda. Right. Uh, mm-hmm, the engineer mm-hmm. dude. Right. Uh, no, 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 no. I, I, I'm not doing this. I want to be with my family. Sprite's got her agenda. Icarus definitely has his agenda. Um, everyone's got really, you know, really quick. And, 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 if I may, if I if I may, really quick. Back in the day, Makari was always my favorite, and I loved the casting of Makari and the mischievousness and the flashbacks. But yeah, no, her, she was probably the only other character who didn't have an agenda, and it really she was me. mute. Yeah, she was mute. She was very muted. Like actually, in, in the unintended, game unintended. No. Yes. No, no, that would be politically incorrect. But in the game and run, it's Makari and Icarus. Those are the two main characters. And here Makari's like subsumed as like a supporting character. It's really about Cersei. In the comics, Cersei is actually like a femme fatale personality. She's actually like a lot more similar to Angelina Jolie's Thena. Unpredictable. Coy. Maybe she's hiding something, but maybe she's not. And as written in this movie and as played by Gemma Chan, she's just generically good. She's like the good guy who's always going to do the right thing. And it's well, fucking I'll, boring. But the device, the device they're using, it's not just Hero's Journey. It's the person you can insert yourself into. Oh, God. You, but wha- if I wanted that, I'd play a video game. I would play a video game. I, I'm, I'm just telling you, that's the construct. The, the yeah, most boring person in the that. movie 
is yeah, the one we're supposed to relate to the most because we could be her. What would you do in this situation? And that's why at least I, I like James Gunn's take on superhero groups because there's nobody there you can immediately relate to. They, everyone there is weird. They've all got their quirks. Well, no, there's usually the one asshole that you are inside. <laughs> you feel bad for relating to the asshole. Yeah, but even then, right? There, That at least is a personality. Yeah, right? absolutely. Well, what is Cersei? She's just like, I'm just going to try to be the hero. I don't know if I can do it, but gosh darn it, I'm sure going to try hard. And it was it was just disappointing to see. Actually, the first time I encountered Cersei in the comics, it was a love triangle between her, Dane Whitman, the, the Black Knight, and Crystal from the Inhumans. That was, and yeah. there, there was this weird tension between the three of them. Because Cersei and, hung out with the Avengers back in the day. That's right. Yeah, I think. Oh, oh, yeah. Dane. Yeah, Dane was was getting it on with with Crystal, who was also Quicksilver's ex wife. So I mean, that wasn't a love triangle. That was like a also, love also Johnny Storm's ex wife. And uh, fun fact to bring it back to the Inhumans. Later on, Johnny Storm post Crystal hooks up with Medusa. So I mean, wow, Johnny Storm really gets around. Though that's dangerous because the hair. Flame on. Have you ever have you ever lit your hair on fire? That stuff goes on fi- gets on fire really quickly, <laughs> and just like Medusa, man. I mean, he one wrong move. I mean, Medusa's hair is. So let's 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 shift gears to Neil Gaiman's interpretation <laughs> oh, yeah, of the Eternals. So about to to kind of to recenter ourselves. So the Eternals did come out in the seventies, and they popped in and out of the Marvel universe occasionally, but not and with a couple of series here and there. But they would. Different characters would show up in the Fantastic Four, the Avengers, but more or less a forgotten group. And in there's this popular trope in the early 2000s where acclaimed writers, be it Kevin Smith or Joe Casada or Neil Gaiman, were paid a lot of money to go hunt down a project, an obscure hero, and breathe some new life into it. And that's what Neil Gaiman did. And he, I, you know, when they announced the Eternals movie, I, because I was buying all these reboots when they came out, because they're really, really interesting. I, I got out my Neil Gaiman Turtles run and I reread it because like, ah, I guarantee this is what the movie's going to be on because that's what they've been doing. The Avengers is the Ultimates. The new Hawkeye series is the Matt Fraction run, etc. They're totally going to base it on this. And I, I'm not always looking for a literal run on these things. But I, I, I think the approach of the Eternals, where have they been all this time? Why have we never heard of them? It was significantly more interesting in the Neil Gaiman run. It was more beautifully told in Chloe Zhao's run, but I don't know. I just I think I enjoy yeah. the, the, the Gaiman run more. So I initially enjoy the Gaiman run more. It, it definitely felt like a project. I mean, we talked about this, I think, with Moon Knight and Karnak also. Like, this is Warren Ellis. He's just trying to revive, bringing, like, interesting ideas into it, but it's also no, okay, I, 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 I think Gaiman, long I, I think They're setting I think Gaiman has a love. Yeah, but Gaiman has a love for Kirby and the Eternals, so initially yeah so where what i the movie was actually better at explaining the lore the convoluted lore of the eternals were were they all during all of history yes and then gaiman i mean i was i was reading and i was just like what what the fuck is this i don't understand it's gibberish it did but that was more towards the well i guess the middle and the end um That's fair. That's fair. No, that's true. The middle and the end was got really weird. Yeah, Uh, and not in a good way. Not in a way that that like there's weird in a way like oh I'm interested. I don't know what's going on, but I'm interested and I want to go deeper into it, even though I don't know what's going on. And then there's I don't know what's going on and I'm just blocked out of it. And that was the latter for me with Game and the Eternals. What I but the front the front was really solid. Yeah, it was. The I mean, he, he used that same trope. 
I have amnesia. What's going on? And that stuff initially when Icarus is trying to talk to Makari, aka Mark Curry, and Mark Curry is a doctor and has no recollection of in this in traditionally Makari is a male, has no recollection of his past. That stuff is that stuff is good because there's just like interesting dramatic tension that's happening. You've got these two characters butting heads. You've got the introduction of Cersei as well, who again is just a very unpredictable individual. And you have no idea how it's all going to ultimately flow together. And then you have the explanation of the lore later on. And that's when it gets a little bit tedious. And in a way, it's almost a similar plot, right? Don't let the Sentinel wake up. And that's the same thing with Neil Gaiman's run. Not the Celestial. Celestial. They do look like Sentinels, though, from the X-Men. I'm pretty sure Celestials are bigger, but yes. They are a little bit bigger, yes. But the same concept. Don't like the... In Gaiman's run, there's a Dreaming Celestial... What does this thing do? Who knows? You just don't let it wake up. And same thing with Chloe Zhao. And maybe it's the same, maybe it's the exact same concept. It's just that it was explained a lot more clearly in Chloe Zhao's movie versus in Neil Gaiman's run. Well, to to your point of the lore, both the past lore and all the flashbacks in Chloe Zhao's version, but also the future twist of the peril of the world was much more ambitious in Chloe Zhao's version versus in this one, the sleeping celestial is a gag and a joke. He's just kind of laying on the ground. Yeah, what does yeah, happen interact- when, when when the sleeping celestial, dreaming celestial, wakes up? Do we? Does that? Do you? Because I don't. In general, or in the comics, it, within within Neil Gaiman's run, I think he just talks and gets put back to sleep. <laughs> right. So this is basically like you as a parent, your kid's about to wake up, and you're just like, "Shit, I want to play video games. Go back to sleep." That's exactly what it that's is. Exactly. Absolutely. That's what. It, okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I do the Sprite character in Gaiman's Run, which I'm sure they inspired how Chloe Zhao approached the Sprite character in her movie, not wanting to be a child for all eternity. And, and is, is willing, is willing to have a betrayal. And the but, yeah. but betrayal, while it's a little nonsensical, like, like, okay, so you're trying to achieve X or what? But yeah, I don't know why. Was, I don't know why this betrayal would help. Right, but but, right, but but it whatever. But it was more diabolical in Gaiman's run versus oh, yeah. in in Chloe Zhao's run. It's literally at the last minute. Oh, I've always it, loved you. She, yeah, she's just basically running on emotion, like a temporary tantrum in Chloe Zhao's run. Versus in Gaiman's run, Sprite is a lot more cunning, and everything that he does is premeditated, and it's scary. We- and then, and I do like how it resolves, right? I mean, it resolves in a pretty dark way with Sprite yeah. becoming mortal, and then I forgot the dude's name was that ajak yeah ajak breaking his neck that was unexpected it's actually Again, a very marvel man moment from from, from yeah Gaiman. and there are moments it's clear they lifted or they were inspired by some of gaiman's run and they chose not to do certain things because you're not going to break a, to- a kid's neck in a marvel movie but i don't know you man it would have sex made... though <laughs> you can call that sex but can we talk about kingo for a second yeah yeah okay so a couple of things here so i i've read the eternals comic when it came out and i bought it and i read it when they announced the eternals movie a few years ago and then i went and saw the movie more recently than i read it after and i was like i don't remember kingo so i went and kingo obviously is not featured in the Neil gaming comic and so i was genuinely curious 
Did they make Kingo up? I looked up Kingo. Kingo was originally an East Asian looking character who was more of like a Kung Fu character, which I thought was interesting. So there's just that. That's just fun facts for you. I want to complain about Kingo in the in the Chloe Zhao movie. I know we're talking about the comics. But I just I'm really pissed off about this. He just leaves a third of yeah. the way through the movie. Yeah. Like it's like not not only was he comic relief and his valet, I think, stole the show borderline offensive to me as an Indian person, but I felt the heart in the actor. So I was okay with the valet, but he carries so much of the movie with some elements of emotion and he just chooses to peace out at the end. And then, and they don't even, they bring back literally everybody. Like the guy who got stabbed is back from the dead. Icarus comes back. They all take part in this family unimind thing. And King goes just not there. And I'm like, okay, so maybe he, exiled himself but then he's there at the end helping them yeah. put the suitcase in the taxi cab I'm like it just like it's not that's even his a contribution that's his contribution i'm helping you lift the luggage okay, i'm rich yeah I, it's just it's not even a plot hole it's just it's negligent to the characters uh yeah it, it really i don't nitpick on a lot of things but it was just so such a gaping hole it was offensive yeah no, I, I agree with you. This is, I actually don't know how, why they couldn't figure out something for him to do. Or if he pieces out, why don't they address that? Because like, I wouldn't be or hanging that, out with okay, him. But that would, that would have been the more heroic moment for him to come back. You could have done a whole arc of, he was always the a- jokester. He was never the hero. He decides to peace out to be selfish on his private jet. But then he comes back and saves the day. Like you could have done things. He could have yeah, stabbed I- Icarus in the back or something, forced Icarus's hand because he was always with him. It was weird when I was watching it. I was like, okay, so he says, I'm gone. I'm not being a part of this. And he leaves. And then you see him again at the end. And I remember thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He did something. I was like, of course, he must have done something to help the heroes during the climactic moment. Because he's back. But then I was thinking back. I was like, wait, did he? For a while, I thought maybe he did do something. And they just totally blanked it out. But talking to you, I realized that actually he really did peace out. I want to ask another question about Kingo. In in one of the final scenes where the remaining Eternals are, you know, basically brought to justice by the Celestial, right? Was Kingo like summoned there or was Kingo left out of that? No, Kingo was there. Okay, so he's still like he's still in trouble, even though he didn't help break the ship. Yeah, he basically should he'd be like, "Hey, man, I had nothing to do with this. I, I <laughs> like, I turned tail and walked out." No, he was there. There were three: Gemma Chan, Cersei, Kingo, and then um, I know. Oh, I, would, I, know. I would guess. Past- I would guess Sprite. Pastos was there too, though. No, Sprite's not there anymore. She's not an Eternal. Oh, okay. Pastos yeah. was brought up. Yeah, yeah, there are three. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that would make sense. So I don't think Kingo. And no, this is where it could be more interesting. If Kingo wasn't brought to trial, because that's they're clearly going to play this thread out later. Maybe that's an interesting thing, like why he copped out, right, and like why he's not in trouble, why he's not in Eternals jail. I mean, I guess so, but you gotta, you should probably signal that a little bit. Like the characters yeah, should react to him differently for not doing anything yeah they're like just hanging out with them at the end they're just hanging out with them yeah because he's because was... he's the rich one he's the rich one he's their bruce wayne he's their tony stark yeah even though he doesn't really provide them with anything the way bruce wayne or tony well, he stark lets them fly. The it, in in the getting the band back together part he lets them like fly in his jet and shit yeah icarus really needs needs a jet to fly in well the rest will do yeah okay <laughs> i want to make a dune comparison really quick i or yeah. ask a question would you have enjoyed this movie more if you hadn't seen Dune first, I don't think this had Dune had any 
bearing on my enjoyment of the movie. I mean, Dune's completely different. I here's where they again, maybe it's because I haven't seen enough movies in the theaters in the past year or so. But they were both very cinematic experiences. Dune delivered. Yeah, I think we've talked about that. And so a week later or, or two weeks later, I go see Eternals, and it's it's a proper thing. Like I'm skipping meetings, I'm, I'm going in the middle of the day in an empty theater, and I'm trying to be immersed in it. And it was a beautiful film. It was just beautifully shot, but it left me wanting. So I, I wonder if I had seen it first before the near perfect experience that was Dune, I would have been more forgiving to the movie because all the same geeks saw both movies back to back. Yeah, I guess I, I I just took it as two different movies. I mean, well, they are <laughs> literally two different yeah. movies. Yeah, yeah well, one didn't really impact my enjoyment of the other. I mean, they're both mm. big screen movies, but um, yeah, very just very different in ambition and scope. Okay, okay. But after seeing this, I do want to see Chloe Zhao's other movie yeah. about, about brain damage, uh, The Rider. I think that was her first... <laughs> One of her, one of her first movies, so yeah, yeah. So Ryan, I have to ask the real question I've been wanting to know this entire time. And what question is that? What are we reading next week? Well, next week.
drown my fears till you all just disappear. Black hole sign, oh,